Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. My name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and uh, this week, where am I? I'm at Exploring the Lord of the Rings. That's where we are. This is session number 238 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings, and tonight we are going to discuss the, um, well, the, the results of that we were watching the crows, right, the crabine, approach from the south, and tonight the crows will get there, and I want to think through a little bit what that means. And this is one of those places where not only do we need to distance ourselves, I think, from the films, right, because the films, are they do something rather different here, um, but also it's, um, that is, they do what, of course, often films and visual adaptations do, which is simplify things quite a bit. Um, but in addition, there are, this is, I find throughout this section, it's really easy to make, I don't know, sort of facile assumptions about what's going on here. Um, and I think that it's, we're going to have many good opportunities to kind of step back like we so often do in exploring the Lord of the Rings, um, and make sure that we're kind of understanding what's going on here within its own, um, within its own context. Um... So, um, okay, uh, let us, <laughs> and, so, and let me apologize in advance for the fact that I will occasionally be giggling uh, during today's class, I believe, because all of our normal participants in our Exploring the Lord of the Rings Discord have all decided that they, um, uh, you know, since uh, nobody can figure out who Sauron is in the Rings of Power show, um, they are celebrating this by changing all of their names to Sauron. <laughs> so um, uh, they're all they're all Sauron. Uh, they decided that everybody is Sauron. So almost everyone has changed their uh, their username to some variation of Sauron. So um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't yet seen an "I'm Sauron and so's my wife," but uh, that's pretty much all. That's pretty much all we're missing <laughs> there. Uh, but anyhow, um, uh, I will nevertheless attempt to move forward. Um, uh, okay, so the, um, uh, the oh, hey, Amanmoto, great to see you. Glad you uh, caught up with us. That's great. Um, okay, all right, so. Quick announcements before we begin. We've got a bu the fall moot season is about to begin in earnest this weekend. This very weekend, I'll be traveling in a couple days out to Denver, uh, where we're going to have our very first mountain moot. Uh, really looking forward. We got a packed house out there in Denver. I believe, indeed, we've like sold out our venue, um, but you can still join us. Um, I, remotely if uh, you would like to. So we have, of course, all of our uh, events, our fully hybrid events. Uh, so if you would like to join us remotely for Mountain Moot, you still can. Uh, go to signumuniversity.org slash events and you can find the registration for Mountain Moot. Um, and uh, we will... Uh, we will be uh, having a great time this weekend, this coming Saturday, the 24th, at uh, in out in Denver. Um, going to be my first time visiting 
uh, visiting Denver. Really excited about that. Um, so, but we also have other moats that are coming up soon. Middle Moat is happening in Kansas City on October 8th. That's going to be great. I can't wait to get back to Kansas City. It's been four years since I've been out to Kansas City. Uh, so that's going to be really, really fun. Um, Kansas City for Middle Moat on the 8th of October. Uh, and then we're going to have New England Moat um, here in New Hampshire. Uh, on the 15th of uh, October, the next weekend. Um, and uh, that one, uh, that one's going to be that, that one's going to be a special lot of fun. We're going to be holding that at the studio where I film Rings and Realms. Uh, so if you're interested to see the studio and we're going to we're going to be, you know, putting stuff up on the big digital wall that you can see behind me on Rings and Realms, uh, that's going to kind of we're, we're going to be holding the moot right there in the studio with the digital wall behind it and everything. Um, it's going to be um, uh, it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, and actually, we're uh, we're working on an extra event because by chance, because we had planned that moot well in advance um, before they announced the schedule of the show. And then we found that we were planning to hold a moot at the Rings and Realms studio on what turns out to be the weekend after the finale of the show the season finale of the show drops. So we're actually working on a bit of a crossover event um, that we'll hold the day before New England Moot um, uh, so that we can have... Um, we're thinking about doing a live studio audience for the uh, last episode, the finale episode of Rings and Realms, uh, as we discuss episode eight. Um, so anyway, I think that that should be... That'll be a lot of fun. So if you uh, can get to... Uh, New Hampshire on the uh, 14th, 15th of October. Uh, there will be a lot of stuff going on. So we'll have uh, we'll have a day of uh, of uh, filming. You'll be there behind the scenes, participate in that last uh, uh, in that last episode. Help me figure out what the heck I'm going to say about episode eight. Uh, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of that. Normally on set at Rings and Realms features a lot of uh, people tinkering with the digital wall while I mutter to myself <laughs> trying to figure out what comes next um and uh it'll be it'll be it'll be a lot of fun so anyway uh, i encourage you so we're gonna we're gonna be posting there'll be a sort of a separate um you can get you'll, you'll be able to get either one you'll be able to get if you want to get tickets just to the new to, to the moot uh to new england moot um or you can add on the 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 day before which is also i think we think we're also going to include a uh, a watch party for the season finale so anyway um it's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot uh, going on that weekend. Uh, and then, of course, the next weekend, uh, the weekend of the 22nd of October, uh, is the Prancing Pony Moot uh, out in Milwaukee, where I'm going to be out there, too, uh, coming to the Prancing Pony Moot as well. So um, lots going on in the month of October and here in September uh, as we uh, move forward into that. So anyway, lots, lots of things coming up. Um, so, and of course, I mentioned, whoop, whoop, whipped through it really quickly. I mentioned Rings and Realms. Um, of course, we just dropped our fourth episode of Rings and Realms today. If you haven't had a chance to follow that, I encourage you to. Rings and Realms uh, has its own YouTube channel. Um, that is our reaction show. Dr. Maggie Park and I have been uh, doing our, re our, not reaction show, our analysis show uh, of Prime Video's Rings of Power. Um, and that has been tremendous fun. People are all teasing me that we're, um, 
uh, we're the, each episode is getting longer and longer uh, as I continue to wear down our editing team. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Really, it's the thing is, is there's just there's so much to talk about, and every week I, I've been trying. <laughs> trying to keep it simple. Uh, there's so many things that I've been kind of pushing off. And here's how I encourage people to think of it. Every little segment I do in Rings and Realms could easily be the topic of a normal class, right? And I'm doing each one of those in somewhere between five and like usually 15, um, maximum of 20 minutes, right? Those are really concise segments. So I, you know, I'm doing what I can. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, so, um, uh, yeah, that, yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> mad to Vildo Linist, uh, exploring rings and realms, man, there's, there is a lot more to talk about. You know, I think we're going to, we're going to be kind of going back over some things in between, uh, the, the, uh, seasons and stuff. So, uh, we will, we will see, we will see, but, um, yeah, belongs bond. It is so true that rings, the rings and realms film team had no idea what they were in for. It was so adorable at the beginning. They were like, Oh, great. Okay. So you're going to do these different segments and those will be what, like each, like two, maybe three minutes long. And I was like, something like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, you should have seen the look on their face. They should have known because like one of the first weeks that I was there in this studio, um, I did Other Minds and Hands. It was one of the ones that I did um, on my own. Maggie wasn't there from the studio. Uh, one of the first ones I did from the studio. And um, uh, I, I, I was, they were set, they were helping me set it, get set up there in the studio. And they're like, okay, so how long are you going to talk for? And I was like, two hours. And they were, they just, just like stood there and blinked at me. They're, really? And I'm like, yeah, no, really, two hours. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, actually, no, wh what he asked was, how many minutes uh, is this broadcast going to be? And I said, 120? <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's, um, uh, that th th they weren't, they weren't prepared for that. Um, but, uh, oh man, Belong Spun, isn't the production amazing? I mean, it's really, really incredible. Um, we wish we had more time because, I mean, of course, it's really hard. I mean, there's, it's really fast turnaround to get these episodes out every week. Um, and uh, uh, if we had more time, there's more that we could play with. Um, I am like uh, barely, we're barely touching the surface of what we can use that digital 3D environment for. Like there's so much more that we can do with that. Um, but um, anyway, um, we're, uh, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, but uh, uh, hopefully we're going to be able to have more time. And again, it's it's also hard. I mean, it's every, you know, Rings and Realms is being done. Everybody's volunteering their time for that. It's it's just a passion project that we're able to put together this year. And Studio Lab New Hampshire and the guys who work there are all you know they're all volunteering their time. So um, uh, hugely grateful for that. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see. But anyway, it's um it's been. Great, great fun. So I encourage you to check it out. Rings and Realms, uh, it has been a hoot. Uh, and uh, looking forward to more this week. Um, all right. <laughs> if they're volunteering, then double their pay. Yeah, yeah I'll look into that. Well, I think it's a good suggestion. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. <laughs> Dark Lord, I will, uh, Dark Lord Valzon, I will definitely, uh, uh, tell them how much, uh, you all appreciate them and, and, uh, love them at the studio, man. They've, they've been doing so much stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. Let us 
get back to the text here. So uh, it's been, not only has it been two weeks since we've had class in real time here, um, but it's been a busy two weeks. So um, uh, let me just, I'm just going to reread this passage. We're not going to re-talk about it. We're not going to re-discuss this passage. I just want to make sure that I'm remembering where we are. Okay, so let's, um, um, uh, let's, let's, Reread and then we'll move on. Really, that's what's going to happen. It was Sam's turn that day to take the first watch, but Aragorn joined him. The others fell asleep. Then the silence grew until even Sam felt it. The breathing of the sleepers could be plainly heard. The swish of the pony's tail and the occasional movements of his feet became loud noises. Sam could hear his own joints creaking if he stirred. Dead silence was around him, and over all hung a clear blue sky as the sun rode up from the east. Away in the south a dark patch appeared, and grew, and drove north like flying smoke in the wind. "'What's that, Strider? It don't look like a cloud,' said Sam in a whisper to Aragorn. He made no answer. He was gazing intently at the sky, but before long Sam could see for himself what was approaching. Flocks of birds, flying at great speed, were wheeling and circling, and traversing all the land as if they were searching for something, and they were steadily drawing nearer.' "'Lie flat and still,' hissed Aragorn, pulling Sam down into the shade of a holly bush, for a whole regiment of birds had broken away suddenly from the main host and came flying low straight towards the ridge. Sam thought they were a kind of crow of large size. As they passed overhead in so dense a throng that their shadow followed them darkly over the ground below, one harsh croak was heard. Not until they had dwindled into the distance, north and west, and the sky was again clear, would Aragorn rise.' Then he sprang up and went and wakened Gandalf. All right. Um, so we will recall that we had that, the buildup, right? The silence that only Aragorn detected. And, uh, you know, he told everybody else about that silence sets in upon us, right? As, as, as readers uh, in this passage until we, like Sam, can hear our own joints creaking. And you remember that contrast between the ominousness of that sense, that feeling of the silence, and then, uh, but the bright sun and the clear blue sky, right? And I love, again, that description of its appearing, um, the dark patch driving that drove north like flying smoke in the wind. Um, <clears throat> and then Aragorn not answering, and Sam eventually seeing that they were flocks of birds, and we talked about how they're wheeling and circling, traversing all the land as if they were searching for something and steadily drawing nearer. Now, uh, Aragorn finally does speak, not to answer Sam's question, of course, but to tell him to lie flat and still and to pull Sam down into the shade of a holly bush. Um, now, this, of course, is the scene in the film when they all very swiftly conceal themselves, right? Uh, doing their best preemptive Harfoot impression. Um, and uh, that's a fun scene in the film. Um, this, the feeling of this, however, is quite different, right? Um, the film takes the coming threat of being spotted, right? Um, and then the attempt of the company to hide, right? And the hope that they are succeeding uh, in hiding. Here, one of the things that I get from this scene is this sense of 
um, I don't know, helplessness, right? Um, the rest of the company is uh, is asleep. And are they going to be seen? There's nothing they can do. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is most interesting about that is we're kind of, you know, we're seeing this whole scene from Sam's point of view, right? Um, he's supposed to be keeping watch. Um, and um, uh, yeah, and I agree. <laughs> Thu juice, man. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yes, that Aragorn's lie flat and still is a kind of answer uh, to Sam's question. What's that? It don't look like a cloud. He's not exactly answering what it is. Um, but as you say, his implicit answer is it's a potential threat, right? Um, that's what's really important uh, for you to know right now. Um, and uh, yes, I do think that Jackie already, you know, we, I, I think we, we are supposed to imagine that the rest of the company is pretty well concealed. Remember, not only are they wrapped up in blankets and stuff, but they are in the midst of this uh, cluster of holly trees, right? Um, uh, so I think that they're probably relatively well covered from the air um, as well. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I don't know, we didn't get that detailed a description. Let's look back for a second. Make sure I'm remembering correctly what we did get. All right, hang on. We need to. We need to go down. Let's see. Uh, that morning they lit a fire in a deep hollow, shrouded by great bushes of holly. Okay, so the hollow is deep. The question is whether. The phrase shrouded by great bushes of holly suggests that it's entirely concealed by them. Um, I suspect that it does mean that. Um, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> praise. Praise. Who changed her name to Praise Sauron? Hard to read that one out. Praise. But anyway, uh, Praise is it's, it's like the opposite of a clearing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I do suspect that there is not open sky above their camp. So it's not only that there's like a perimeter of holly around their camp. Um, I think one of the things that I was sort of missing in my own imagination of this when we read this earlier passage is the emphasis on the deep hollow, right? It's not just a like a shallow bowl in the ground. Um, it's a deep hollow and shrouded by great bushes of holly, so probably, probably, um, the camp can't be seen um, from the air. Um, uh, and it, it would uh, shelter the sleepers from all sorts of precipitation, yes, uh, uh, both um, liquid and solid, yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, so yes, I think it's more like a little cave that they're in down there, which also would help us to understand why, back to our regular uh, passage here, um, why um, they, why Aragorn is not alarmed about the rest of the camp, but all he does is pull Sam into the shade of a holly bush. Um, and it is true, as you know, Dark Lord Valzan was just posting a picture of, uh, of a holly tree, and it is certainly true that holly trees have, they tend to have a lot of space um, 
around them and then do have sort of a canopy. Um, so there would be place among the, uh, you know, even if there were holly trees that were not just up on like the ridge of the hollow, you know, the up the, at the upper edges of the hollow, but even if there were ones down at the bottom, getting under a holly tree is, uh, uh, is not, uh, you know, not as not necessarily a hard thing to do. Um, so Aragorn and Sam are able to conceal themselves from the air, under the holly bushes. Notice what this means, by the way. Um, Gandalf was already suggesting that Holland itself would be a friend, possibly be a friendly place to them, right? Um, You know, he was trying to cheer them up uh, by saying that, you know, that in some sense the land still remembers the elves, that there's some kind of, uh, you know... um, auspiciousness about Holland. Um, however, Legolas immediately contradicts him by like, oh, no, 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 that's mostly passed away, right? Um, but um, uh, but anyway, yeah, I... Um, we see, nevertheless, that it's the holly trees in Holland um, which are protecting the company here and preventing, I believe them being spotted. Um, are they spotted? Are they not spotted? What we see happen is that a whole regiment of birds, and Jackie, I think you were saying this before too, um, uh, regiment is a very interesting word here, right? Um, first of all, we have seen these birds acting in a very strange and strangely systematic way, right? Sort of deploying themselves over the countryside um, and making this systematic canvas of the entire uh, of the entire region, right? Which is not normally how flocks of birds act. Um, and now a group of birds, he doesn't say a flock of birds, which would be the natural thing to say, right? He uses this military term. A a regiment of birds had broken away suddenly from the main host, right? So, uh, and uh, the second one is, to a modern ear at least, perhaps not quite so very obviously military a word as regiment, but it is just as much one, right? Main host, host and regiment um, are both military terms there, right? Um, remember, those will be paired again later on uh, when we are told that Sauron can uh, more uh, uh, can more easily lose a regiment, can more easily afford to lose a regiment, a host, than they can a regiment, right? Um, uh, so that those two words are paired as meaning um, a very large group, like a whole army uh, of troops versus one portion, uh, you know, one unit uh, of, you know, within that army. Um, so he is, metaphorically, the narrator is prompting us to see these birds as a military deployment, right? Yeah, company is also often used that way, green great, green, great Sauron. Although, uh, um, uh, of course, the, um, uh, the word company is used of the company of the ring, right? Of this group of people here. Um, which I don't think is necessarily like a militaristic uh, concept. I mean, in the context of uh, um, host and company, um, uh, we can see that um, uh, uh, 
the word company can definitely be used in that way, but I don't think it's only a sort of a military word in that way. Um, uh, but, um, okay. A regiment of birds had broken away suddenly from the main host and came flying low straight towards the ridge. By the way, merely the alteration from the more natural word flock, I think is another way uh, to sort of point out to us, to make us feel the fact that these are not acting like normal birds, right? Um, this ain't no flock, right? Because flocks of birds don't act this way. They don't do this kind of thing. Um, and again, I think that, that, that is, that's borne home really clearly by the military language. Um, seeing the swarm of birds coming towards them from the distance, as we saw in the previous passage, is ominous, but it's not, uh, you know, we were talking about how it's rapidly drawing closer, but, but not that rapidly. They're not like flying straight in their direction. They're going all over the countryside. And by the way, how it's described here is way creepier than we see in the Lord of the Rings films, right? When Peter Jackson depicted this scene in that scene we already, I already alluded to, um, we see a large sort of swirling. I mean, on the one hand, it's kind of like, it looks like a dark patch in the distance. It's not, it's not bad, right? But it fails of this kind of effect because we don't see the birds acting like this. They're just kind of flying and swirling around, you know, like a large pack of birds might fly. They happen to be coming straight towards where, uh, you know, the company of the ring is camped in the film, right? Um, and so everyone has to, like, panic and immediately hide. Um, yes, that's a really great distinction. Uh, uh, Miraculous Sauron says, the film stuff was stressful, but not spooky. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, absolutely less spooky. I think that's a really, uh, that's a really important um, distinction there. Um, um, w watching this deeply unnatural bird behavior, and now, right, um, the sort of crowning moment of that is the regiment of birds breaks away, and that now starts heading straight towards them, right? As if they'd been instructed, you know, to come this way, as if they're actively being hunted. Or, you know, again, we're seeing this all from Sam's point of view. Notice that immediately after this, we get Sam thought, right? Um, so we're being told Sam's thoughts, which means that presumably the previous sentence is Sam's observation, right? Um, and I think that that, uh, um, I mean, he, he, they're flying low and straight towards the ridge is, is doubtless, you know, what he's seeing. Um, but that sense of like, you know, have they spotted us? Are they coming for us now? Right? Um, is uh, uh, clearly seems to be part of the uh, part of the part of the thing here. Um, Sam thought they were a kind of crow of large size. Um, crows are pretty big, actually. Um, if these are, um, um, if these are larger than normal crows, that's kind of extra scary, I have to say. Um, again, crows are, um, yeah, I know the ravens are bigger than crows, but still, uh, still crows are, you know, not tiny. I mean, they're not eagles, right? But, um, but still in these kinds of numbers, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, crows of unusual size. Exactly. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, crows of unusual size. Um, I love the neutrality of that sentence, though. Sam thought they were a kind of crow of large size. Um, we can sort of feel Sam remaining calm here, right? Um, we saw that already in the previous paragraph, right? What's that, Strider? It don't look like a cloud. Um, no, no, it didn't look like a cloud, right? And there is this sense of uh, uh, almost insistent casualness, right, um, about Sam's question, I think. Um, I think that this is Sam trying not to sound spooked, right? Um, however, uh, here, I think in this, the whole feeling of this paragraph, and again, recall in the, in that previous paragraph, right, the, it was Sam's turn that day to take the first watch paragraph, we're getting not only what Sam hears and doesn't hear, but like what he feels, right? We're really brought into Sam's experience of things. And, um... I think what is one of the things that is so creepy about this paragraph, um, this whole description of the crow encounter, um, is how casual it is, right? Um, uh, there's an opportunity for mu a, a much more sort of sensational, emotional uh, experience here, right? Notice no, nobody, there's no... There's no sense of exactly Sam's emotional reaction. Is he scared? And how is he scared? Is he scared in the, these might be spies and they might find us and report on us sense? Or is it scared in the, if those crows, if this like enormous swarm of crows descended upon us, they could all they could they could kill us very easily right um yeah i mean is he having a, a you know a sort of a proto hitchcockian uh response to the, the 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 crows right um and uh we don't know we're given almost no cues at all about how sam feels at this moment we get his thought sam thought they were a kind of crow of large size right this is a very very um restrained um, a very very restrained description here um, and I find that extremely um, extremely effective right um, now on the one hand I you know Sam is not gonna be there's a way in which I think a lot of us modern people, generally urban or suburban modern people get uncomfortable in the presence of animals, especially large quantities of animals, right? Um, I mean, for most, I think, modern people, encountering wildlife is like a fun and unusual thing, right? Like, oh, look, I just spotted an animal over there, right? Um, but our feelings change rather, right? If we, when we feel ourselves to be surrounded by strange animals, right? Um, the point I'm making is that Sam wouldn't have that kind of feeling, right? The the whole uh, sort of culture, even though you know, yeah, the Shire is a fairly civilized place, 
um, you know, again, a modern person who finds himself under a flock of perfectly normal crows acting in a perfectly normal fashion, right? If there are several dozens of them, right? Um, you know, come on, you know you'd think about it, right? You'd be a little bit uneasy. Um, uh, it, it doesn't take too much, I think, for modern people to start asking themselves the question, am I safe, right? Uh, am I safe this close to these wild animals? Um, and the mere kind of uh, unfamiliarity of that and the kind of the inhibition that arises from that unfamiliarity um, is something that I don't think that we're going to, uh, um, uh, that we're going to really see here. Um, so in a sense, I think there's a certain amount of detachment here. Sam thought they were a kind of crow of large size, right? Which reflects like, on the one hand, he's looking at them like, well, I've seen lots of crows, right? Um, as a gardener, Sam probably doesn't think much of crows. I'm going to go out on a limb and say. Um, uh, but, um, but still, you know, he, uh, he, will, um, he will be familiar with them. Uh, but it doesn't seem... Either he doesn't have any kind of fear or panic in his reaction, or it is being thoroughly suppressed in the description of this scene. Um, he seemed curious. Maybe he is calm because Strider didn't freak out. Um, though Fry, Str Strider seems a little more spooked than Sam is, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, Sour on the left, exactly. Sam would see crows as pests, nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I agree, Jackie. The reason that Aragorn is seems more spooked than Sam is that Aragorn understands more of what's going on here, right? Sam sees a very large quantity of birds acting very unusually, right? Um, and those two things are maybe concerning, right? But again, I I I think I can understand why Sam would his reaction would not be like we're gonna die, right? He's not he's not gonna panic. Uh, here, um, uh, but um, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah, ex exactly. Uh, Sam doesn't spook as much, also because it's not his burden. He can rely on Aragorn. Yeah, yeah, to some extent, um, as far as like how to sort of move forward with it. Yes, yes, um, yeah. Um, then we get that one that one really creepy croak right as they passed overhead in so dense a throng that their shadow followed them darkly over the ground below one harsh croak was heard so they're passing overhead it describes the density of the throng again notice we're continuing to not use normal bird vocabulary right there's still not a flock right? Um, they were a regiment as part of a host, and now they're a throng. Um, and uh, we're given a, a visual imagination of this. And remember how this fits in with the other description we were given. Before, the only thing that was not creepy was the sky, right? The sky was 
a beautiful blue and the sun was climbing up the sky. And now, in this moment, when the crows arrive, um, everything is silent, ominous. There's this fear and waiting that uh, that is hanging over the entire region until... Uh, uh, except for the sky, which still looks cheerful, right? But now, even that is occluded by the crows uh, and their shadow follows them over the ground below. Of course, we can also um, we can also see, right? Oh, and I agree, Jackie, that it's creepier, that it's beautiful and sunshiny out, for sure. Um, but um, as their the shadow that follows them darkly over the ground below, um, we get this little foreshadowing, don't we? Right. Of the shadow uh, creeping out. Um, um, we got that beautiful blue sky, but it is at least for the moment, uh, for the moment, uh, covered. Um, and yes, <laughs> Gilga Sauron, um, you were right that if they are crows, as Sam believes they're a kind of crow, um, for them to be silent as they're flying it's possibly the weirdest thing of all, right? Crows are not quiet birds at all, um, especially with um, uh, especially with a bunch of them around. Um, they're pretty gregarious. They like they make a lot of a lot of noise. Um, <laughs> uh, we get the one croak. And I love the phrasing. As they passed overhead, one harsh croak was heard. The passive voice there. One harsh croak was heard. Um, what is the effect of the passive voice? There are two elements of that. There are two, two effects of that particular phrasing, I think. Um, one uh, Sauron Gal, exactly. Um, it's creepier because it's disembodied, right? It's in the passive, the verb is in the passive voice, which means the, um, the ob, you know, the object of the, uh, of the verb is, right, the subject, the object of the action is the subject of the verb. Um, and the, the, the subject of the verb, right, the, uh, the, or the subject of the action, the one doing the action is, Displaced, right? That's what it means for it to be a passive verb. We don't know who croaked. It's impossible to. There's just as the one croak. Um, presumably, not all of them croaking in unison, right? I think that would have been described differently. Somewhere in this dense throng of crows flying overhead, one of them, for some reason, croaks harshly. And it just rings out in this kind of disembodied way. We don't know who did it. We don't know why it was done. Um, is that bad? Does that mean they were spotted? Um, is this a command being given? With the military language, it kind of almost sounds like that, right? Like there's a, you know, a little crow drill sergeant, right, who is uh, uh, giving an order for them to wheel to the west or whatever, right? Um, yeah, Trespassers William <laughs> was just an awesome name, by the way. Love Trespassers William. Um, 
uh, <laughs> that's, oh man, so good. Anyway, yes, um, it does sound exactly like a military command in the context, right? Um, hard to imagine. Probably it doesn't mean that the company has been spotted. Um, as if that had happened, it would presumably have been more than one harsh croak uh, that would have uh, resulted had they been spotted. Um, uh, yeah, and I agree, uh, Karita. The ambiguity makes it so creepy. Um, you know, is it all clear? Is it got them? You know, is it uh, nothing here? Proceed to the Northwest? Like, we don't really know, right? Um but I think there's a second effect of that passive voice construction. One harsh croak was heard. So not only do we get the, uh, does it give the croak that sort of disembodied uh, status that we were talking about before. We also don't know, we also don't know who heard it. It also makes the hearing of it sort of disembodied. I mean, presumably Sam is hearing it. Aragorn can presumably hear it too, right? Um, and yet, Although we've been following Sam, we've been reminded um, just, you know, the sentence before that this is Sam's point of view that we're getting the scene from. I mean, he could have said one harsh croak was heard by Sam, or he could have said Sam heard one harsh croak. Um, But he doesn't. One harsh croak was heard, presumably, by Sam, right? Um, But I think one of the effects of that um is it kind of I think that invite it invites us into it, right? Um we are here with just as we you know, it's like we too can are made aware of our joints creaking, right, in uh in this sort of imagined fearful stillness of the landscape right before the crows arrive. Um so now we are invited to hear that one harsh croak for ourselves, I think. Um, it was heard. Did you did you hear it? Right? Uh, can you imagine it? Um, as this flock of birds is passing overhead, still in silence. Right? Still in silence. Now, presumably, the beating of all those wings is not wholly silent. Right? Um, and yet, the uncanny silence of such a large group of normally a quite noisy bird. Um, has to be really, really eerie. And it just raises the question further. Remember, we were talking about what would have made the local fauna either leave or be silent, right? Long before the crows could be seen approaching um, or presumably smelled approaching or whatever else, um, there was some presence, there was some influence on this land that set in within the last few hours and which uh, has created this fearfulness and stillness, which was detected by the animals, though not um, by anybody in the company except for Aragorn. Um, And now it's like that same uncanny silence has fallen over even these crows. It just seems to emphasize they're definitely not causing it, right? Had the silence... You know, there'd been the silence, and then soon after the silence, in the distance, the ominous sound of, you know, a 
what was it? A genocide of crows? If you've got not just a, one regular murder of crows, but this massive uh, quantity. Um, this whole genocide of crows. If like the sound of the crows had grown and grown from the distance uh, until it, you know, which again, you, what would you, you would expect if you actually saw like thousands and thousands of crows. Um, but uh, um, yeah, yeah. But that's not what we get. Right. Instead, the crows themselves are hushed, just like everybody else is hushed. They're hushed in a different way. They're going about their business. Right. They have clearly a job to do. Um, but the unnatural silence of them is sort of the final piece that fits in with their unnatural behavior. Right. Their other unnatural. Like they. These are not normal birds. These birds are being um, uh, deployed. Right, like a host, like a regiment, um, over this land, um, by someone, by some will, not just sent here, right? Because if you, if you, you know, delegate this task to a flock of crows, right, uh, even to a large murder of crows, into a genocide of crows, you just. If all that happened is you're just telling a bunch of crows somehow, like let's assume you can communicate with a whole bunch of crows all at once and say, hey, go search the land out, right? And they're like, okay, yeah, sure, we'll go do that, even though this will require us to act in a really unnatural fashion. That wouldn't make them silent, right? Um, are they... Who sent them and what is their connection? to the one who sent them. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Bjorning, the, um, that there's been an, op an, an oppressive will in the land is definitely what it seems like uh, to me. Um, yeah. And um, Sauron, Prince of Cats, I do agree that the word croak is an interesting one. Um, on the one hand, it's not a wildly inappropriate word for the cry of a crow. Um, but it is a bit unusual. It is a bit unusual. Um, uh, I... Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not... Um, it's not... I was going to say, it's not the normal word that one might expect to describe the sound of a, of a crow, I don't think. Um, uh, Bjarnasoner says it makes it sound staccato and brief. Maybe. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know that it's quite as abnormal a word as, say, throng or regiment. Right. Again, those are those words seem to me very clearly to sort of shout to me. This is not a normal flock or murder of crows. Right. This is um, something that is not behaving like birds at all. And I don't get quite as strong a sense of that from the word croak. And yet um, the harsh croak. You know, honestly, what it makes me think of is with the silence of all these other birds that like these birds speak so infrequently, right? They, they vocalize so infrequently 
that like you know <laughs> like his voice is hoarse or something right like um you know he doesn't is he's not making a normal cry because he's commuting to communicating to them in totally different and sort of unnatural unnatural ways um but um yeah yeah you're right Sauronus stroke um that cr- imitative um that is so okay so you're saying that the word crow is designed to be onomatopoetic in a sense that is it is uh from the word crawan um which is designed to imitate the sound of a crow right um which is interesting and of course croak sounds quite like it right um there's something almost onomatopoetic about that as well perhaps um yeah interesting um somebody look up croak do we get other things croaking how often how often do things croak in uh in the lord of the rings would love to would love to see that um yeah anyway yeah we'd love to see how often the word because i don't get the impression i don't think it's a it's a frequently word used word in the lord of the rings but um okay then not only had they dwindled not until they had dwindled into the distance north and west and the sky was again clear would aragorn rise then he sprang up and went and wakened gandalf um so by the way i am not sure um I am not sure. I'm going to the map now. I'm not sure what that means. Um, so, when he says they had dwindled into the distance north and west, does that mean this particular regiment of crows that flew over them went northwest after they passed them? Or does he mean that... I? Because th- I think not until they had dwindled into the distance, I think's not, think not does not just elude to the regiment of birds, but to the whole host, right? To the main host, the, um, the entire genocide of crows. He's going to wait until all of them are gone. Um, and I think that this means that they've gone into the North and the West, right? They're continuing to cover the entire, um, uh, the entire area here. Um, yeah, exactly. As Thu Juice Man says, they came from the south and the mountaintops are to the east, so north and west is what's left. Exactly. So looking at the map here, um, so here we are in Holland. Um, they've come up from the south, um, so they will have just passed Moria Gate relatively recently. Um, north and west as separate words. It's possible they're just going straight northwest from here and are thus angling up towards, you know, the last bridge, you know, to this angle between the Loudwater um, uh, and the Horwell, that's possible, right? That they're just headed up in that direction. But it seems more likely, given the emphasis on the systematic search that they're doing, um, that this entire swarm is now, like, has disappeared both at the same time, to the not even broken up into two groups, um, but the entire swarm is covering like both north and west um, from where they are. Um, 
Okay. Ah, uh, interesting. Uh, great. Thank you, Spiritual Sauron, for con for consulting the Digital Tolkien Project, which is the perfect thing to consult uh, for this. Um, croak is not used anywhere else. Gollum sings a croaking sort of song. So Gollum's, um, and he croaks things. Uh, he he can croak things as well. Okay. All right. Great. Um, so yes, yes. Um, uh, Ah, there we go, Matt. Thank you. Matt points out that in The Hobbit, when they're hearing the, the, the crows, remember when they get to the Desolation of Smaug for the first time and um, Glowin, or not Glowin, uh, Balin and Bilbo are on that like scouting expedition, right? Um, when they see the crows. Um, and um, that's when, uh, remember, Balin is, uh, uh, and we learn later that Balin can understand what they're saying, right? He does say, with such gloomy thoughts, followed ever by croaking crows above them, they made their weary way back to the camp. Very good. Thanks, Matt. Um, uh, so, um, uh, so yeah, okay, great. So we have um, uh, the him associating the word croaking with crows. Uh, that's a, that's, 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 that's pretty good. And then the fell beasts also croak. Um, uh, it gives a croaking cry. The wing, uh, the witch king's steed as it settles upon the body of Snowmane. Okay, good, good. Um, excellent, excellent. Um, good. Yeah. So there, there's Gollum. Gollum croaked. He croaks when he uh, is talking to Frodo. Then when they're doing about the, uh, um, it's the the fish song right before he quotes the fish song. We will tell you he croaked. He guessed it long ago. Baggins guessed it. Yeah. Yeah. I would. It doesn't surprise me that Gollum croaks a good bit. Okay. So yeah, I agree. <laughs> Sauron is your mom. Uh, that um, uh, the the beast, the crows, and Gollum tend to croak. Frodo's voice croaks from lack of water once. Okay. Um, <laughs> Arden. Crayon, Ardent Sauron suggested that Boromir croaks at the start of book three, which is not the same thing. Um, uh, <laughs> it's, it's too soon. It's too soon. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lincoln is suggesting this is an extinction event of crows. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a really great question, Bjorning. Um, the Fellowship is all happy that they get good weather from the south, and they all cheer up, right? They're having this uh, pleasant conversation that Aragorn interrupts, and then the crows arrive, also from the south, right? Is this good weather a sign of bad attention? Um, yes, it certainly does. Show, and this would seem to kind of connect with the, the sort of... Um, counterintuitiveness, right, of the way that they're avoiding the sunlight and uh, um, traveling at night, right? Uh, um, are the, is, the, is, the, is this bright blue sky treacherously bright, Bjorning, right, uh, is sort of the question here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Dark Lord Valzon wants to know if Sauron is ever shown being able to influence weather. Well, um, some would say his arm has grown long, uh, but, uh, but we'll see about that. What is delightful about this whole section, delightful but possibly frustrating for some people, is there are many, many questions raised and few questions answered. Um, like, ever, right? Um, so, uh, and we're getting towards some of these. So anyway, Aragorn finally rises. But again, notice, notice the way that that's phrased. It doesn't say, not until they had dwindled into the distance north and west and the sky was again clear, did Aragorn rise, right? Um, that is, it's not merely telling us what happened. Not until they had dwindled in the distance north and west and the sky was again clear would Aragorn rise. Um, we are told something about Aragorn's internality here. And since this is all from Sam's point of view, um, the suspicion that I'm getting here, the sense that I'm getting, is that Sam had wanted to rise earlier on, right? But Aragorn was making his will clear that rising was not yet an option, right? Um, uh, so I really, but, but it's a very gentle touch, right? Aragorn would not rise until this happens. So, um, and again, I think our attention, whether or not, you know, he's been holding Sam down or whatever, um, uh, whether or not that's happening, we are, um, to merely report what happened, only when they dwindle in the distance did Aragorn rise. Um, merely tells us what happens. This uh, gives us this view into Aragorn's choice, right? It's not like... The fact that he didn't rise for a long time could have one of several different explanations, right? Um, this makes it clear that he is extremely concerned about these spies and that he will not rise and move until he is sure they have dwindled into the distance. They've gone really, really far away until they can barely even be made out at all, right? You can barely even see them on the horizon before he will stand up. And then he sprang up. Then he sprang up and went and wakened Gandalf. Um, uh, he, it's not for uh, a lack of urgency that he waits so long, right? Um, he goes to report to the captain immediately, Jackie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Dark Lord Valzon, I agree. After Strider pulls him down, Sam would know to wait until he moves again to move himself. I doubt that he's actually having to hold Sam down. But what I can imagine is Sam, like, looking over at Aragorn, right? Like, do we get up yet? Is it okay for us to move yet? Can we? No, no, we're okay. We're still, we're staying down. We're still staying. I mean, this could have taken, look, they might've been lying there under that tree for what? Half an hour? Like it's they're as they're wheeling and circling and traversing the land, um, it's only that one throng and regiment that went over them as was described in the previous paragraph, but um, it's going to take a while before they dwindle into the distance north and west, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, I have that sense of Sam 
kind of looking, right? But Aragorn's will is set against rising, clearly, right? Until then when he does rise, um, he um, immediately jumps up and goes to waken Gandalf. Um, and yes, Valzan, I do think it's very likely that Aragorn is listening very carefully as well. But again, I don't think he's just... Um, he could be listening to see are the local birds going to come back out once the crows go past? Like, is that was that unusually large flock of crows, um, you know, disregarding for a moment how unnaturally they were acting? Is that, you know, basically, is there a perfectly natural explanation, perhaps, for why the local fauna has fallen silent? Because they somehow knew or sensed that this enormous throng of crows was coming through. Um, and, um, uh, and, and therefore it's really nothing else to, to be concerned about, right? Um, it's possible. We're, we don't, we're not told anything about that. The silence of the countryside ceases to feature, right, uh, in the descriptions here. Um, but I think his springing up is a pretty clear indication that if he had thought it was safe to get up sooner, he would have done, right? He's in a hurry here, um, in order to get, um, uh, in order to get to Gandalf and talk with him about, about what happened. Um, and no, no specific amount of time was hurt, was, was mentioned. I mean, we do get this sense, um, again, we talked about how, although they're flying at great speed, they're not flying straight towards them, right? Um, what we see is that they're steadily drawing nearer. And the last sentence of the previous paragraph, the dark, a dark patch appeared and grew and drove north like flying smoke in the wind, which from the distance is not going to look like it's moving super, super fast, right? So I imagine that this whole scene from the spotting of the dark patch until the springing up of Aragorn could have been quite some time, right? I don't even know. An hour? Two hours? Um, maybe. Uh, it, I mean, it could have lasted quite a long time, all told, um, uh, until they've completely gone. Um, and yet, um, again, the urgency that he shows suggests that he is being very, very careful here. Um, yeah, agreed. Yes. Um, I agree also with Sauron of the Nine Fingers uh, that um, the weight and springing up suggest that Aragorn does not think that the danger is past. Yes, agreed, agreed. Um, again, there's clear urgency here. This is not like, whew, that was close. They might have spotted us, but I don't think they did, so we're still okay, but, you know, yikes. Like, that's not his... The, the springing does suggest... Gandalf needs to know this right away because the danger is not is not is not past. Um, yes, yes. Um, and he goes straight to Gandalf to wake him up. Um, we will get much more discussion uh, and conclusions drawn about what happened here in our next passage. But we're going to wait for next time, uh, for the next passage. Um, I, I don't think I'm going to be able 
to be back again next week. I'm not sure exactly what next week is going to look like. These next few weeks still are going to be a bit of an adventure. Um, so I will continue to see about that. I hope so, but kind of stay tuned and we'll see what happens there. Um, but we will, I'm looking forward to getting to, uh, Gandalf and Aragorn's the first of our Gandalf and Aragorn conversations. We got one, I guess, a little exchange there, uh, before they all went to sleep. Um, but, um, but these, uh, Gandalf Aragorn conversations leading up to ultimately to Carathras and Moria, right. Are, uh, are very interesting. Um, so anyway, so we will see, I, I probably won't be, uh, here next week, I believe, but, um, uh, I should be able to be here the week after that. Um, so, uh, but it's time for our field trip for those of us who are going to remain for our field trip. But I wanted to make sure to let you guys know I might not be here next week. Um, uh, Amanmoto, great to see you guys. Anatar's gift seat, uh, great to, uh, glad that, uh, you folks were able to, uh, join us here for, uh, the first time this evening. Always fun having folks who, uh, who are catching up with us. Um, but, um, yeah, no, we're, um, no Alice tomorrow. What, hoping to do Alice next week. Um, Yes. Yes. All right. Very good. Um, uh, so, uh, let's do, let's do our field trip. We are still finishing up the Undershire as we're, tell me that crashed again, man. Oh man. I am telling you, Hey, how are you? How's it going? Yeah, no, it crashed for me too. uh, I've been, I don't know if this is a me problem or a them problem, but I've been having some crashing issues of late. Yeah, I, I totally got kicked off from trying to relaunch. It does not look good. Maybe tomorrow's update will fix things. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Or break minstrels, you know. Right. Yeah, I'm getting failed error request, failed request right now. Sometimes if you double click, you know, try to restart the client while it's still closing out stuff, it freaks out. Oh, no, I, uh, my internet died on top of everything, so, uh... It was no, I can't help you with my lady. Yeah, no, everything yep. you get is a can of spam. All right. So, sorry about that. <sighs> well, okay. if you're not here, I can start the raid for you. Yeah, why don't you get started? I'll try to catch up with you guys. Great. Evil doesn't sleep, but my Wi-Fi does. Okay. Um. Just waiting for you to log back in. Here we go. I'm back. All right. So as usual. Let's meet back at No Bottle again. I'll be there as soon as I get people in the raid. Yep. Okay. Oh, I Who did I miss? Uh, uh, did you get green stand? Yeah. 
Yeah. I. He's not there. Oh, he he always waits in town for us. Right. I was just finding him on the kinship list. Okay, so let me recap. So we're looking at now these northern ruins. Um, so we saw no ruins of any significance down in the main body of the Yondershire. They were all in the outskirts. We saw Tamamothir, uh when we were questing before, um, which is an old party elf place. But all of these northern ruins, so we've got this ring of... Uh, ruins around the north here, um, starting with Tarhad over here on the uh, eastern side, which was clearly a uh, an old Arnorian, uh, a numinous suburb pleasure house, right? Just a country manor um, with beautiful views uh, and uh, you know uh, perfect for uh, taking tea on the veranda, looking out over the view. <laughs> Um, then we got to Barfaroth, which was a city, right? And this looked like still old Arnurian, um, but it looked like a, um, a, a like a suburb of um, of Anuminus, like people actually living here um, and uh, uh, you know establishing a city and crafting things. It was right above Longcleave, um, so we saw the um, uh, we saw the. Um, its views were not so striking, right? It was looking out over this rough, you know, the rough valley that Longcleave is, um, uh, and with this river flowing uh, in the middle of it, um, but um, still seemed like it was connected, you know, back to Anuminus uh, in, uh, you know, in in the old days, uh, but not so closely as Tarharad. And so now we're going to go to Ostlagaroth, the third of our northern ruins here in this. Um, uh, this uh, uh, little diadem of ruins around the northern edge of the Yondershire uh, to see what we see uh, there. How should we best get there? Should we, should we go to Gamich and go north? Oh. Does that sound like a plan? Mm, Gamich would be the closest north. Yeah. A lovely day, isn't it? All right, let's go to Gamich. Could have swift traveled to Gamish, but hey, this is fun. Okay. All right. I am. Wending my way slowly northwards. Um, really slowly as I'm going up people's driveways now, apparently. The, what is and is not the main road through Gamage is not really easy to detect. No, that's somebody's driveway too. I'm constantly getting lost here. There is a way through, right? The road continues north? I don't think it actually does. Does it not? Is it dead end? Is that why I'm... Make it up there, because no? us actually took the scenic route. Oh yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I thought the road carried on north, but I guess it doesn't. 
So that's kind of interesting. So it was there was an existing path that went. So yeah, I guess we'll just um, just go cross country, I suppose. Can one go cross country? No, there's mountains here. Oh, well, maybe you can. Oh, more mountains and bears. Oh wait, here, here's a road. Where did this road come from? And where does it go? Huh. Okay, wait, so this comes out of Gamage. I'm just tracing it back here. Okay, so there's a... Alright, so there is a road that winds out of Gamage eventually. But it's on the northwest corner. And then it passes through a hedge with some old stone pillars in it. This kind of looks like the the high hay a little bit. And there's a gate with a door in it. Yeah, I think this is... And we're really only very indirectly headed up towards our ruin. But that's okay. Those of you who took um, who took the scenic route, are you getting close? Yep. Okay. Ah, oh look, there's another wall up here and a stone wall. This is a stone wall kind of like the one we saw in the south, but it's not so cleanly contrived. Huh. Who made this and why, I wonder? Oh, you can see the stone wall on the map. Look at that. Must be a very significant wall. So the stone wall that we were seeing before was the one over by the old links that went along the southern border here. Huh. Well, this is leading us in quite the wrong direction, however. Indeed so. Can we get to the right? Doesn't look like it. Let me like see it. if I can find a path. We're going to Ocelagoras? That's the idea. I think I see it over there. Can we get through over here? I think maybe we can. Or is there going to be a cliff yeah. and a gap? No, we can get through. Okay, we can get through here. Okay, this is clearly a fortress. It's definitely not a pleasure palace. Definitely not a pleasure palace. And not like a city. I mean, look, you've got battlements all around. Um, and crenellations. Yes, exactly. You've got crenellations. You've got, it is like right up on the edge of the rock cliff face. Um, many of these places that we've seen have been very easily defensible, should one want to defend them. But there was little evidence that people wanted or needed to defend them. Darn it, sorry about my camera view. Um, so yeah, let's... Hello, I'm back. Yay. Oh, hey there. <laughs> sorry, the whole thing just... My, my computer threw a tantrum. Oh dear.
Okay. Huh? Hang on, am I being pursued by a deer? No. I'm just running with deer. The deer is deer running with me. Deer. Okay. The deer is with you, you are with the deer. Oh yeah, see, look at this. Why does it overhang the edge of the cliff? That's really interesting. Gotta feel like the architects ran into a problem there. Or maybe there's been erosion. Who knows? Um, but, um, but anyway, we're coming up towards these walls and there's just no entry. Right? I mean, this is clearly highly designed for defense here. Clearly Arnorian, as we've got the Arnorian stars all over. We've got the Arnorian stars. We've got the Scepter of Anuminus. We've got the um, um, uh, what's it called? The Oyelose? No, Oyelose is the name of the mountain. Oyelire. Um, uh, branches here. All that, but this is later Arnorian stuff. This is not Enuminous stuff. Oops. Uh, can I get over there? Okay, yes, I can. All right. Yeah, this is later. This is not Enuminous stuff. So this is post Civil War Arnorian architecture that we're seeing here. I would say. I mean, that is, or like, that's a very fancy way of saying it looks like Esteldeen rather than looking like a Numinous. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is definitely like one of the Shire's best kept secrets. Most popular, best kept secrets, yeah. Yeah, okay, and we've got, what do we have, ruffians here? Yeah, standard issue. Outstanding a issue ruffians. ruffians. Okay. All right. So here we are. Okay. This also has nice views, but again, clearly designed. So yeah. So which kingdom would it have been during the Civil War? Um, um, Arthedyne. I think it's too far north yeah. for... Yeah, it's too um, far north for Cardolan, I think. We're um, soon. So I don't think it's Cardolingian, uh, to use my joke adjective uh, <laughs> for Cardolin. Um, but um, yeah, so I think it's got to be Arthedanian, um, which it looks like a lot of the Arthedanian ruins that we've seen, which is a bunch. I mean, the majority of ruins of Arnorian ruins that we see from the Civil War era are either Arthedanian or Rudauran. Um, yeah. relatively few Cardolingian ones. The clearest Cardolingian one is the one in the Barrow Downs, right? Yeah, I was going to say this one most specifically looks like the one just outside the, the Barrow Downs. Um, yeah, what, the stuff that's like right along the, the, the wall, which was the boundary, right, between um, Arthodyne and Cardolin. Um, actually, it might have been part of the old fortress near the Greenway. Right. Or, settlement nearby man this is a grand hall up here so we've got up here we're past the outer fortifications Ooh, look there's a headless statue over here oh. who is that i wonder is that a like a wizardly statue look at that huh yeah i don't remember seeing that guy on top of a gazebo before is that a staff that he's holding? 
Or is it a yeah, sword? It looks like a shillelagh. Yeah. I mean, it could be the top could be broken off the staff. I mean, the head is broken off the statue, so. Uh, but yeah, it looks like a robed figure carrying a staff. Or Probably a, sword a staff. That had the hilts broken off. He's a very tall sword. It's possible. It's possible. Though, again, the way he's holding it and the fact that there's no hilt anywhere near any evidence of a hilt where he's holding it is what suggests uh, yeah, staff rather than sword. Yeah, we've seen a lot of decorative swords that were bigger than functional swords. Well, it's true. But again, we I don't think we've seen a lot of people holding them by the blade other than like the dudes who are holding it across their palms, you know, like the wizard dudes. Yeah, I, I, I think it would be uh, probably a scepter or something, some sort of... It looks like a robe that he's wearing and not armor. Yeah, armor. it really does. Yeah. It does not look like a warrior figure to me at all. Oh, he's got that artichoke pattern on the gazebo. Yeah, I was just noticing the artichoke pattern on the gazebo. Another classic Arthedanian sign. The artichoke gazebo. Okay. Artichoke pizza now. Oh, yeah, look at that. You've got the oyelare all around the inside there. Oh, yeah. Super Arthedanian, this yep. place. Okay, so in here we, ha so we have this big... So we're still... These are still out of perimeter walls, right? Like, these are the walls. This is the joint in the wall that we just fetched up against. Uh, yes, it is. There's the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that we were just coming in from the outside. Um, so all of these battlements here are on the outer curtain walls. Be careful in this corner. This is the one that sticks out over the edge of the cliff, so we want to be cautious about that. Um, um, yeah, these should are proper be defensive ramparts right here. Right, exactly. Um, and then immediately inside we get a gazebo. Yep. With a non-warrior figure on the top. Yeah, Which, it kind of sends a mixed message here, doesn't it? Well, you know, I don't know. Like, so Arthedyne, you know, you want to say, like, so Arthedyne is supposed to be the one which had lost its way least badly, right? So you want to say that they, um, you know, they're... Uh, building a fortress, but it's not... This is not just, like, a fortress designed to, like... I don't know, like oppress the local populace or whatever. This is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, designed for defense, obviously. They're concerned about defense, and they're obviously concerned about attack from the south, which again suggests Arthedanian, right, as their uh, power center was north of here. Um, mm. And, I mean, of course, in this area with the mountains behind you, obviously, you're not going to have your fortress facing towards the mountains and away from the valley, but still. Um, again, it's just like from the point of where they would be is 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 Arthedanian. Yeah. But but inside, first we have the gazebo and then over this little, you know, bridge here, we have this sweeping double staircase leading up to this I don't even know what. Um hall? Let's Yeah, we've got ceilings like sort of pavilion up here. A yeah, covered yeah. courtyard, and then a and then a another row with a okay. It's been bricked up now, but um, 
It'd be like your big marketplace you have before the big structure or something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I mean, my point is there's there's clearly... Um, this is not just a purely functional castle, right? There's a lot of effort towards um, appearances, even comfort, and... You know, the gazebo. Yeah, I think it's weird that gazebo, like... If if the if the the crinolated ramparts were not there, that would have been a splendid view on the gazebo. Right. But it looks like they sort of fortified it afterwards. Because yes. Otherwise, why put the gazebo there? So it's almost like you know they 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 wanted the beautiful picturesque thing, and uh, eventually common sense started to prevail, and they began to fortify a little better. Maybe. It wasn't, uh, let's build a beautiful pavilion with battlements just in case the midden hits the fan. Right, right. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, because, yeah, I rather think, um, I rather think that, oh man, look, it just ends over here. Well, it ends in a cliff, so, and a river at the bottom of the cliff, so probably pretty safe over here. Yeah. There's one interesting motif in these big pillars, though. The two biggest pillars. There's, like, a row of, like, knights just holding swords with the with the hilt with the sword pointing down. Yes, we've seen those guys in um, the Barrow Dance, actually. Wait, These where is it? Self-same guys. Uh, on um, the way up to sort of the... The double staircase to the big pavilion. Oh, the double staircase. Okay, hang on. I'm, I'm yeah. up in the lobby. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, the right. big pillars that are holding up the ceiling. I've said the, the big... Oh, pillars. right. Those dudes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, some little decorative warriors up there. But they, right. Those are the only two places are here in the entire structure. Yeah, that's interesting. I think the columns in front of them are actually interesting. We haven't seen these sort of turret-looking pillars before. You're right. You're right. Yeah, the whole structure is unusual. Mm-hmm. Looks very top-heavy. It does, and although it has crenellations up at the top, again, this is none of this is clearly designed for defense. This is all just like impressive and imposing stone structures with the sweeping staircases and the columns and the uh, covered you know, marketplace or whatever that is up there and the great hall behind it. Um, I wonder if, like, it, it, it gives me sort of a, a cynical feeling that if you lived in a society that had always been surrounded by war, you would think these things were just a normal part of architecture. Right. Yeah, no, but there is that still that sense, you know, whatever the sequence was, of like this kind of building in here and the gazebo over there inside the fortress, right? Like this, this sense of like life goes on, right? You know, we're prepared for assault. Um, we're in a highly defensible position and surrounded by um, surrounded by battlements. However, um, you know, inside we still have a gazebo and uh, you know marketplace, and you know we're uh, we're fine here, right? Um, Elbereth helps those who helps themselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that this is, um, 
Yeah, exactly. As Sauron as your mom says, war doesn't mean we can't be fabulous, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I think this whole building here behind us really does suggest to me that, um, you know, being fabulous uh, in the middle of the war here. But it does, so the fascinating, um, the fascinating progression that we're definitely seeing and is remaining consistent seems to be from like oldest to newest as we progress to the west here across this circle. Tarhad looking like it could have been, you know, like Volandil's own summer home, right? Um, to Barfaroth, which looked like a city from the time of the kings before the Civil War, perhaps, to now a fortress clearly built during the time of the Civil War, um, when the other places were would have been kind of, you know, um, kind of useless. Um, and then uh, now we'll see what we see out in Lungobel, which is the last of our fortresses here, uh, and the last of our explorations in Yondershire next time. Um, so that is an interesting progression for sure, and we'll see how it continues, and then maybe see if we can draw some more some more conclusions. Um, oh, so uh, movie Aristotle, the seven stars up on the top there, yeah, that's the scepter of Anuminus. It's uh, broken on the one side, but we're we, we've been theorizing for some time that that sign which we see, and you can see it in smaller places down at the keystone of the arches, down here. Yeah, we think that's the scepter of Anuminus, um, uh, which is a classic sign. Again, that this is Arthodyne, who still is, you know, in the Numenorean tradition, feeling themselves, you know affirming their direct lineage from the kings, right? Um, whereas the Rudaurans had moved to a crown already by this side, that sort of woodland crown, uh, which is the symbol of Rudaur that we see on their ruins that primarily. Ironish. Yeah, the Rudaur, yeah. yeah, the woodland crown that looks a bit irony. Yes, yeah, love that crown symbol, actually. Um, but yes, that would appear to be Rudaur. Yeah, yeah totally, totally sketchy, non-evil non crown, especially with uh, yeah. like what looks like, you know, blood stains under the trees. Yeah. yeah. Just because it, it spikes on it doesn't mean I'm an evil king. Right. Exactly. That's good. One can comfort oneself in that way for sure. I just like spikes. <laughs> right. Right. Who doesn't like a few wicked-looking spikes on their clothing? So okay, very good. Well. We should. I should uh, let folks go, as I say, next time, which will probably be the week after next. Uh, we will look at Longobel, and then we'll be done with the Yondershire, and we can figure out if we're close enough. I still think probably not to go back to Oregon yet, but um, we'll um, uh, we'll see. We'll see where we go from here in the Yondershire. Uh, All right. Very nice. Thanks, everybody. Um, I will see you guys in... Oh, yeah, maybe Cardolan. Maybe we will explore Cardolan, uh, movie Aristotle. That'd be fun. Um, all right. Yes, look forward to seeing some folks in Denver this weekend. Uh, should be excellent. Good. Glad to hear the weather's supposed to be fabulous. That'll be great. Uh, look forward to that. Um, very good. Thanks, everybody, and I will see you guys soon. Bye now. Bye.